Hi, I'm Megan Sykes. I'm a professor at Columbia University, and I'm the director of the Columbia Center for Translational Immunology. Uh, today's lecture is an introduction to the field of transplantation, uh, particularly transplantation immunology. Transplantation is inseparable from immunology because organ transplant rejection and graft-versus-host disease are the result of immune responses caused by genetic differences from between the transplant donor and the recipient. <clears throat> there are a few definitions I'd like you to understand before I go through my lecture, because I will be using some of these words as I go, go forward. Autologous means uh, organ or tissue from the self. There are some autologous transplants that are done sometimes. For example, pancreatic islets in a person whose pancreas needs to be removed due to pancreatitis. The, the person will get their islets back so they don't get diabetes. Syngenic is not from the self, but it's from the next best thing, a genetically identical individual, an identical twin. Uh, in mice, we use syngenic uh, uh, donors all the time because we have inbred mice, um, uh, hundreds and thousands of identical twins. In humans, uh, we may have one identical twin uh, in the rare in, in the rare person. Um, allogeneic is the commonest kind of transplant. That means from another individual, a genetically different individual of the same species, and that includes anybody who isn't an identical twin, a brother, a sister. A parent. Those are all allogeneic to us. And then finally, xenogeneic. That'll be the topic of my third lecture. A xenogeneic transplant is something that we don't do right now, uh, but we hope to do in the near future, and that involves transplantation from a different species. Okay, well, let's focus for a while on allogeneic organs and tissues. Now, the immune responses that we have to think about when we put an organ from one genetically different individual into another is what we call the host versus graft response, the response of the recipient's immune system against the donor foreign antigens. And T lymphocytes are the main players in this response. Antibodies also happen, and um, there are specific conditions when antibodies are a concern that I'll talk about later. Uh, but many antibody responses are dependent on T-cells, and so the T-cell can be thought of as a central player in rejection in most instances. Now, in the second uh, uh, part of the slide, uh, I mentioned allogeneic hematopoietic cells. That's what many of you may have heard of as a bone marrow transplant in somebody who has leukemia or lymphoma. That's the commonest reason for doing a hematopoietic cell transplant. It's not always bone marrow. Often we use mobilized peripheral blood stem cells for a hematopoietic cell transplant. Um, and there we have to think about immune responses in both directions, because the donor is, again, foreign to the recipient. And again, we have to think about the recipient rejecting the donor. And the main players there are T cells and natural killer cells. And also, sometimes antibodies can play a role. Um, but there's another direction we have to think about, because when we do a hematopoietic cell transplant, we do things to compromise the recipient's immunity very, very extensively. And then the immune cells that come with the graft can actually attack the recipient. 
So it's a donor anti-recipient attack that we call graft versus host responses. And T cells, uh, and some, to some degree, and natural killer cells play major roles there. Um, then we can think about xenogenetic organ cells and tissues. And there, it's mainly the host barrier to the donor that we have to think about, the host versus graft response. And it's a very, very strong response involving T cells, natural killer cells, macrophages, and antibodies, even antibodies that aren't T cell dependent. Very strong immune response. Now, there are many ways that we can uh, uh, try to avoid rejection. And I'm speaking now, again, about allogeneic organs, which is the type of organ that we currently transplant. Rarely, we may have an identical twin as a donor. And the very first transplants in humans were done with an identical twin uh, who was able to donate a kidney to his twin brother. Um, secondly, mo since most people don't have identical twins, we use immunosuppressive drugs. And that really is the standard of care for allowing a graft to be taken without rejection. And finally, I'm going to speak in my second talk about uh, what's sort of the holy grail of transplantation, which is to induce tolerance, immune tolerance. And there have been some recent trials that have actually achieved this in small groups of patients. Now, there's a particular genetic locus that we have to think about uh, when we consider any kind of a transplant, and that's called the HLA, the human leukocyte antigens. Because HLA antigens are extremely polymorphic, meaning any two individuals who are unrelated are very likely to have completely different HLA genes. And these HLA genes elicit the strongest immune responses by T cells and antibodies. And this slide here um, shows you the importance of HLA matching. Um, that when you have a closely HLA matched uh, uh, organ, this is kidney transplantation in a large series, um, you can see that the, the, the rate of graft loss, now this is following these graphs over 20 years, that there are, is a constant rate of graft loss over time. Graphs, many graphs, uh, eventually get rejected. That's called chronic rejection, which I'll come back to. But these lines are a little bit divergent. The ones that are most closely HLA matched have the longest half-life, the slowest rate of chronic rejection, whereas those that are HLA mismatched more extensively uh, have poor outcomes over time. So HLA is important uh, in this regard. Now, what is the cause of rejection? As I mentioned, uh, T cells are central players in the process. Now, acute rejection uh, is, is something that we avoid. We don't like to lose the organ ever completely. And that's why we use these immunosuppressive drugs. And if we have an episode of rejection, we can usually control it by adding more immunosuppression uh, temporarily. But as I mentioned, these uh, drugs must be taken uh, chronically, uh, and uh, otherwise the graft will almost certainly be rejected. Now, I mentioned chronic rejection as a cause of late graft loss uh, in the slide that I just showed you. Unfortunately, that is an ongoing problem in the field. It hasn't been improved by the improvements that we've made in immunosuppressive therapies uh, in the last few decades. So that is one reason why tolerance is sort of the holy grail in transplantation because tolerance would mean the immune system 
treats the donor itself, and chronic rejection wouldn't happen either. All right. Now, um, I've talked about uh, rejection as if it's one thing, but in fact, there are several different types of, of graft rejection. Uh, one is, uh, is caused by pre-existing antibodies, and we call that hyperacute rejection. I'll say more about that. Another kind of antibody-mediated rejection is called acute vascular rejection. Uh, and that's when antibodies come, get formed after the transplant, but can cause a fairly rapid rejection once they get formed. Whereas hyperacute rejection is, is caused by antibodies that are there before the transplant. Now, the, the cellular rejection is one that is mediated, caused by T cells alone, with no antibody role. But as I mentioned, uh, antibodies also depend on T cells for their formation. So some of this acute vascular rejection is antibody, is, is T cell dependent. And then chronic rejection also is thought to be dependent on T cells, even though there's fairly um, good evidence that antibodies also play a role. Okay, now the first and second type of rejection, hyperacute and acute vascular, we really try very hard to avoid by selecting our donors and recipients, and in some cases doing special preparation of our recipient uh, if we think they're at high risk of this. So let's talk a little bit about hyperacute rejection. Uh, hyperacute rejection can occur in a couple of circumstances. Uh, one is if we have blood group mismatched uh, donors. Um, for example, if the recipient is blood group B uh, and the donor is blood group A, the recipient has anti-A antibodies in, the, in their serum. And that antibody will immediately bind to the blood vessels of the kidney. Uh, uh, as soon as the graft is hooked up, it'll bind to the endothelial cells lining the blood vessels. And what that does is it fixes complement, initiates a whole cascade of inflammatory events um, that uh, ultimately activate the coagulation cascade and occlude the blood vessels. So that graft is lost very, very quickly. And the same thing can happen in, in even in, in a blood group match situation but in which the recipient has made antibodies against donor HLA antigens prior to the transplant. And this can happen because of a prior pregnancy, uh, a prior transplant, or uh, due to blood transfusions that the recipient may have had. And it's exactly the same process. The antibodies in the patient's circulation bind to the endothelial cells and fix complement and initiate that same uh, coagulation cascade and occlude the blood vessels of the graft. So, uh, as I just said, it can, hyperacute rejection can occur in blood group mismatch and presensitized uh, recipients. And on the bottom, um, it says that uh, hyperacute rejection has presented a barrier to xenotransplantation. As I'll uh, discuss in the xenotransplantation lecture, we found a way of avoiding that. Uh, but it was a major limitation to the field of xenotransplantation uh, over the years. Now, just to show you what hyperacute rejection looks like, this is an experimental uh, study where a rat heart was put into a mouse uh, that had lots of natural antibody against that rat. Um, that's the one on the right here. And you can see that that heart looks black. And that's because that occlusion of the blood vessels has happened in that very short period of time uh, since the graft was put in. This is half an hour after the transplant. Uh, over here, 
you see a pink looking graft and that's a much more normal looking graft and that's because this mouse that got the rat heart didn't have those high levels of preformed uh, antibody against the rat xenograft. It's a xenograft because it's from one species to another. Okay, <clears throat> now uh, acute cellular rejection is um, a major uh, problem uh, in, and it's the co a common cause of what we call rejection episodes. And um, we think that this whole process, which in which again the T cell is the central player, uh, gets initiated in part because of procedures that involve are involved in obtaining an organ from a donor, uh, transplanting it to the recipient, uh, and there's a period where there's no blood flow to that graft uh, called ischemia, and that ischemia can activate all sorts of components of the innate immune system. And the innate immune system is very effective at activating T cells. Uh, and it's actually T cells, as I mentioned, that are the real players uh, in this graft rejection. And the strongest rejections are directed against those HLA differences uh, that I mentioned, uh, but also what's called minor histocompatibility antigens, which are basically peptides that are presented by an HLA antigen, but uh, they're peptides of proteins that have some polymorphism and may differ between the donor and recipient. We have many such uh, polymorphisms. And so even in the setting of HLA matching, there are many minor histocompatibility antigens that can be presented and cause a T-cell-mediated rejection. And this is if you had a really bad uh, T-cell-mediated rejection that destroyed the graft. This is what it would look like. It's, it's quite swollen and it's white. And it's white because of all the leukocytes, the white cells, the lymphocytes, etc., that are infiltrating the graft. Um, as I mentioned, it's a T-cell-mediated process. This stain here is an immunostain for, with anti-CD3. And you can see there's a lot of those uh, T-cells that express CD3 uh, in the graft. And histologically, you can just see this gross infiltrate of cells with blue nuclei and very little cytoplasm. Those are largely lymphocytes. Okay. Well, what causes this T-cell response? Um, there are two ty types of T-cell responses. Um, uh, one is called direct allo recognition, and the other is called indirect allo recognition uh, in transplantation. And indirect allorecognition is actually like a lot like any other type of immune response, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. Direct allorecognition is quite unique. It's different from most immune responses uh, because it actually is seeing uh, the allogeneic HLA presenting a peptide, and there are many, many such uh, possible uh, allogeneic HLA peptide complexes on a donor graft. And this elicits a very strong response. And we have both uh, CD4 and CD8 T cells that can recognize this donor. And the essential point of, of direct allorecognition is that it's directly recognizing antigen presented by a donor cell. So this is a donor dendritic cell, an antigen presenting cell that is uh, presenting uh, these donor HLA molecules. And that, that's the direct response. Indirect allorecognition is uh, a little bit different 
because it, in fact, involves a recipient antigen-presenting cell, here a recipient dendritic cell. And what happens is that recipient antigen-presenting cell picks up donor antigens, such as these HLA molecules, uh, internalizes them, processes them through the antigen processing pathway, and represents them on a recipient MHC molecule, a class II molecule, uh, that is on the surface of the recipient dendritic cell. So this recipient CD4 T cell, in this slide, is actually recognizing a donor HLA-derived peptide presented by a recipient HLA molecule on a recipient antigen-presenting cell. All right. Well, HLA differences between donors and recipients activate a very large number of T cells of different specificities. And this results in the response to HLA, uh, which is the human form of the major histocompatibility complex, the MHC, uh, being stronger than any ordinary immune response. So this is an extraordinary response. Now, the reason for this is that uh, T cell receptors uh, are, have evolved to recognize MHC peptide, and so there's this inherent uh, fit between T cell receptors and MHC peptide complexes. And T cells get positively selected in the thymus to weakly recognize a self-MHC peptide complex. But what happens in order to avoid autoimmunity is that they undergo this other process called negative selection in the thymus that weeds out the T cells that strongly recognize self-MHC peptide complexes. Um, but there's no donor cells in that in your thymus that, that contribute to that process, so you don't weed out uh, T cells that recognize alloantigens. So this combination of inherent MHC recognition and not being weeded out for the donor results in a lot of T cells that see the donor. And one of the results of this is that we can actually measure responses to an allogeneic HLA mismatched donor uh, just in cells that we take right out of a person. We don't have to give any immunization to see this. And these two responses, called the mixed lymphocyte reaction, uh, in which we uh, measure either uh, T cell proliferation or uh, cytotoxic T cell activity against the donor uh, cells, uh, are, are measures of this uh, very strong response. You don't see that for other types of immune responses. You have to immunize. And in fact, it's been estimated that uh, anywhere from about 1 to 10 percent of T cells will recognize a given MHC mismatched allogeneic donor, which is a huge, huge proportion of this very diverse T cell repertoire that we have. Uh, I've been talking mainly about acute rejection up until now, and chronic rejection is uh, another type of rejection that is much more uh, slow than acute rejection. And uh, we've made pretty good inroads into reducing acute rejection and graft loss rates with modern immunosuppression, but we haven't done much to eliminate this slower uh, form of rejection that we call chronic rejection. And the mechanisms of chronic rejection uh, are not fully understood. They may involve probably some of the same processes that I've referred to. Um, but it's thought that indirect recognition plays a major role, mainly because the antigen-presenting cells, the professional APCs that come with the graft, uh, do get replaced over time uh, by the recipient. So you have more recipient APCs around to present antigen. 
And indirect recognition is very effective at inducing antibody responses, and uh, antibodies may play a very important role in many uh, instances of chronic rejection. Now, um, the reason for that is that the uh, B cells are particularly focused on uh, alloantigens because uh, here's an example of a B cell that has a receptor, a surface immunoglobulin receptor, that recognizes an allogeneic donor HLA class 1 molecule. And what happens is that B cell, uh, by recognizing that molecule, will selectively pick it up and process it and present it uh, through its class 2 molecule uh, to a CD4 cell, uh, shown here. So that CD4 cell helps that B cell, which has focused its antigen, its peptide antigen, that that uh, CD4 cell recognizes and, and helps the B cell. Uh, so it's a T cell B cell interaction. Over here, you have the dendritic cell that initially primed that CD4 cell, uh, but that CD4 cell now can very effectively induce antibody responses by that particular B cell. Um, so that's uh, the indirect pathway uh, inducing alloantibody responses. Now, there's a third pathway of allo recognition that's only been re recognized in the, in, in the last few years, and that's called semi direct allo recognition. And what that means is in, it, it, it's still a recipient dendritic cell or a recipient antigen presenting cell that is presenting antigen to the T cell. But <clears throat> instead of picking up and processing uh, antigen, as we saw for the indirect pathway over here, what happens is that recipient uh, antigen presenting cell actually steals entire MHC peptide complexes away from a donor cell. It picks it up in intact form uh, from the cell membrane and presents it on its own cell membrane. Um, some people refer to it as cross-dressing. It's the, the recipient dendritic cell looking like the donor in terms of the HLA peptide complexes that it presents. And that's important because we know we have donor HLA around as long as we have a donor graft around. And it means that since the, the T cells that recognize these donor HLA peptide complexes are the ones that we originally described as directly alloreactive, it means those uh, cells, which are so abundant, have a constant trigger uh, in, through this pathway. Okay. Um, how do we prevent all this? I mentioned that lifelong immunosuppressive drugs are the standard of care. That's how we uh, get organs to be accepted. Uh, for many years in, in many people. And there uh, are uh, several types of drugs that we use in combination. Um, steroids are not in, on this list, but uh, corticosteroids that have uh, very broad effects on the immune system are, are commonly used as one of three drugs. Uh, the second drug <clears throat> is often a cytotoxic drug, um, such as azathioprine or, more recently, mycophenolate mofetil. And what these cells do is they specifically target proliferating T cells, proliferating cells like T cells uh, and B cells. Um, and then finally, the third drug uh, is often a calcineurin inhibitor like cyclosporin or tetrolimus. 
um, or instead uh, rapamycin, uh, all of which are very selective uh, for uh, targeting T cell activation. Um, and um, rapamycin is a little bit different in its mechanism of action compared to the calcineurin inhibitors. Uh, rapamycin actually uh, in, in inhibits the mammalian target of rapamycin, uh, which is a, a different pathway and uh, may have advantages in sparing uh, uh, a regulatory subset of T cells uh, when it's blocked. Okay, so that's organ transplantation, rejection, how we prevent rejection. Um, I'm now going to end with just a few uh, slides about hematopoietic cell transplantation, which I mentioned early on. Um, hematopoietic cell transplantation can involve bone marrow, uh, which used to be the, the usual type of transplant. Uh, but more recently, a lot of people uh, get mobilized peripheral blood instead. And what that involves is treating the donor with a drug, GCSF, uh, or uh, there are some more recent drugs that actually cause the bone marrow stem cells to leave their home in the bone marrow and go into the circulation. And so now you can just, uh, using a leukapheresis catheter, uh, collect peripheral blood that is very enriched for the bone marrow stem cells that we need uh, for our transplant. Uh, cord blood is another source of hematopoietic cell transplants. Uh, and finally, we can actually enrich uh, the hematopoietic stem cells from any of these tissues. Um, CD34 is a marker uh, that is on stem cells as well as a variety of other cells, and often CD34 selection is used to enrich the stem cells. Um, and the main application of bone marrow of hematopoietic cell transplantation uh, is in the treatment of uh, hematologic malignancies like leukemias and lymphomas, uh, but also uh, in treating genetic diseases of blood-forming cells, immunodeficiency diseases, sickle cell disease, etc. Okay. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we have a, an issue. In addition to the recipient rejecting the donor, we have the issue of graft versus host disease when we do hematopoietic cell transplants. And that's, in a sense, the donor rejecting the recipient, the donor attacking the recipient. And that is also, just like rejection, dependent on T cells. They're the key players. And what happens is donor T cells, seeing foreign antigens in the heavily compromised recipient, uh, get activated and they attack cells of the, of the epithelium, uh, of the epithelial tissues, <clears throat> skin, anywhere in the, in the intestinal system, and liver are the main targets. And there are acute and chronic forms, uh, just like rejection. Um, and through most of the, of the clinical field of hematopoietic cell transplantation, Graft-versus-host disease has been such a big problem when HLA barriers are, are crossed that it has been necessary to find an HLA-matched donor. And, of course, uh, that could be a sibling uh, because we all have two different HLA loci. Uh, with any given sibling who's not an identical twin, there's a one in four chance that there will be a complete HLA match at both loci, um, at both alleles. Um, now, um, that obviously is only 25% of people who are lucky enough to have an HLA identical sibling. And so this has led to the development of large bone marrow transplant registries where people have volunteered to be HLA typed and then to give their hematopoietic cells to somebody who may need a transplant uh, who they don't know 
and are unrelated to. But that takes millions and millions of people uh, because of the extensive polymorphism of HLA. Finding a, a matched donor is like finding a needle in a haystack, but it's done. Now, recently, the field has advanced so that we are able to uh, perform more extensively mismatched transplants, HLA mismatched transplants, uh, and this is getting more and more uh, common uh, at multiple centers. Okay, so what is this whole graft-versus-host disease? How does this happen? Um, So what happens is uh, we give our allogeneic uh, bone marrow transplant, for example, and that contains mature T cells, okay? Those T cells get infused with the graft through the vein, And they come in, and they go into the recipient lymphoid structures, like the lymph node in the spleen. And they actually get trapped there, because those structures are so full of recipient antigen-presenting cells. So over a period of several days, those donor T cells recognizing recipient antigens on these recipient APCs will get activated and expand. And then they uh, they will leave the lymph node and go back into the circulation. And if the recipient has been treated with uh, conditioning that causes inflammation in those epithelial target tissues, and conditioning being irradiation, chemotherapy, etc. Those tissues themselves are inflamed, and those tissues will provide signals that allow those uh, activated T cells that get in the circulation to enter those epithelial tissues and cause this disease called graft-versus-host disease. Okay, well, how can we prevent it? The obvious one is to deplete the T cells from from the donor graft. And that works, but it has some caveats. Um, First of all, it turns out that those donor T cells help the bone marrow to engraft uh, to overcome the recipient rejection of the donor. And there is an increase in rejection if we T cell deplete our donors. Uh, secondly, uh, most of these, many of these transplants are done to treat malignant diseases, and it turns out that the T cells in the donor graft are a kind of immunotherapy. They actually uh, kill off residual leukemia or lymphoma cells in the recipient that didn't get killed by the chemo or radiotherapy. And so there are higher relapse rates when we T cell deplete our donor graft. We take away that immunotherapy. Um, And thirdly, uh, adults have a very hard time reconstituting their immune systems uh, after they've had all this treatment. And if you T-cell deplete your donor graft, you are more... uh, the the recipient is more prone to serious infections. There's quite a long period of immunodeficiency before the immune system recovers. So donor T-cells also help the anti-infectious immunity. Okay, um, so I mentioned that relapse rates are higher uh, when we T cell deplete the donor, and that's because uh, that alloreactivity against the recipient, while it's harmful and causes graft versus host disease, it also attacks residual malignant cells in the recipient. And natural killer cells, uh, at least with certain types of malignancies, also have the ability to attack uh, malignant cells, and so they can also be beneficial. And then there are a variety of other strategies. Um, um, People are uh, looking at uh, differences, changing immunosuppression, uh, and and many, many uh, forms of immunomodulation uh, that are being explored to reduce graft-versus-host disease. And uh, the holy grail is to try and uh, preserve anti-tumor reactivity 
uh, in this case. And this can be done in ways that, for example, controlling the trafficking of T cells, uh, so you can still use the alloreactivity within the lymphohematopoietic system uh, to give you an anti-leukemia effect. Um, or uh, many groups are working on uh, specifically targeting tumor antigens uh, with a variety of approaches. So that's the end of the first presentation. Thank you for your attention.